keiaku nui, keiaku rahi, rarau mai ki te hui. Ko mihi ngā rangi tēnei, e mihi atu nei, kia koutou katoa. Welcome to the hui, coming to you from lockdown in Tāmaki Makaurau. E taruake nei. As Aotearoa pursues elimination, we discuss the latest developments in our battle to keep out COVID. What we're seeing for Māori is that we are two and a half times more likely to need hospitalisation from COVID-19. And a small instrument. And a lot of aroha. It's one of those things that you pick up and you don't want to put it down once you start playing. We meet Tauranga Moana's ukulele nannies. Now we have two male that have come on board and they're quite happy to be part of the ukulele nannies. <laughs> As Aotearoa faces more uncertainty in the face of Delta, vaccination rates for Māori paint a worrying picture. While almost 1.7 million New Zealanders have received their first dose of the Pfizer vaccine, just 145,000 are Māori, and only 88,000 Māori have received both doses. Inakwane i kōrerua ki tētihi māngai, no te manatū haura. Uh, you joined us on the hui last year during lockdown where you acknowledged uh, the poorer life and health expectancies and you said the ministry would treat Māori as a priority. Has that happened? Uh, yes. I think there have been challenges from outside to do better, but certainly the way we've prioritised um, those with underlying conditions, the way we've prioritised, for instance, in the rollout South Auckland, the things we're doing currently to support whole of community whole of whānau vaccinations. We spoke about um, equality in a crisis and you talked about a work programme uh, which would look at targeting the testing of Māori and Pacifica. One would assume that would naturally uh, then carry on to be targeted vaccination. Has that happened? Yes, as part of our overall rollout, the challenge has been uh, in the months prior to this, we've had limited supplies of vaccine. So we started with our frontline workers including our Māori frontline workers. And we've progressively moved down to other areas for priority. We've also recognised people with underlying conditions, which is a lot of our people as well. But I certainly expect now that we have more vaccine supply, and now that we're able to bring much more, many more settings online in terms of vaccinations, that'll increase our opportunity to be getting out with Māori. The Royal um, Australian College of Physicians that say that we know that Māori are more at risk of COVID and they've put some numbers out that Māori at 44 and a Pacifica person at 40 would have this uh, would have similar rates of complication as a 60-year-old Pākehā person in New Zealand. So how do you counteract that situation? I think, as I said, now that we've got more vaccine supply and now that we progressively moving down the age bands, we will be reaching and providing opportunities for a greater reach into our communities. Um, the results we've had so far on the age cohort approach, for instance, our over 55s are being vaccinated at comparable rates to um, other groups. And we expect as we push through, uh, now that we're getting to younger age cohorts, that that will be the same response too. We've had strong support from iwi and Māori organisations in fact, some of our biggest champions out there 
uh, iwi and Māori themselves. And if you look at a snapshot of Tāmaki, for an example, we, let's look at the vaccination rates of at least one dose there. You've got Pākehā at 40%, you've got an, the Asian population at 46% vaccinated and Māori at 28%. That looks and feels like inequity to me. Uh, yes, uh, as I said, across the whole Māori population, uh, I'm sure there's a differential. Part of that is that we've started with our kaumātua, with our pakeke first. But as I said, as we continue to reach out into our younger population, I expect those results to increase significantly. Um, and as I said, at the same time, we now have uh, more vaccine resource to be able to distribute and to create a greater range of choice and options for our people to get vaccinated. The problem with that, Ehua, um, is that Delta's here now and Māori are way behind the eight ball and behind everyone else. It, it hasn't worked. We haven't been able to keep our people safe. Oh, I don't think that's I don't think that's that's a determination we can make at this stage. If you look at how much how significantly more vaccines we're undertaking now than we were undertaking even two or three weeks ago, that's ramped up significantly. Every day we're adding primary care and other sites um, as vaccination centres. Absolutely fantastic numbers of vaccination in the last few days and, and week, but I mean, people might ask the question of why weren't we doing this a month ago? Oh, I think there were several things coming together. I think the first of those was ramping up our vaccination workforce, including, which is a huge opportunity for our Māori providers, and they've certainly taken that opportunity, getting some of our non-regulated health workforce uh, as vaccinators not only for COVID to start with, but certainly it's my expectation we would continue to grow that. So I think there's been that. There's been the vaccines themselves and been trying to, we've had to be very careful about our vaccine administration, particularly in the early months of our vaccine effort. But those things have changed now. We have much more vaccinators vaccinating around the country. We have a larger supply of vaccine coming in. We have a greater range of choice of people around the country. And as I said, it's my expectation that they will start having a result, not only for Māori, but across our community in general. One of the issues in our Māori vaccination poll earlier this year um, was not that our people were anti-vaxxers, they just really needed to know more information and they needed to have that from a, from a safe source. Uh, Minister Henari at the time said that there would be campaigns to tackle the misinformation, including online. Can you name one project? that has been rolled out specifically for Māori? I'm not sure I can um, think of a project that we're rolling out that's targeted on misinformation, but we certainly have a number of funded projects with iwi uh, and Māori organisations uh, and communications organisations to get good messaging out. And I think our starting place is not misinformation, it's making sure that people understand where they can get trusted information. Actually, interestingly enough, while I acknowledge um, history for Māori has not been one where they are ordinarily um, um, unsuspicious of government activity, I have to say to you that uh, in regards to the COVID communication campaign, certainly communications from the COVID uh, website and certainly from the Ministry of Health, there's been high demand from both iwi and Māori organisations that we send those communications directly to them. But we don't start with misinformation. We start with trusted sources and good information. As information comes along, we have uh, social media and other platforms 
that are regularly monitored. This was the issue when we spoke with Minister Henari earlier this year around misinformation, is that lots of our people are down rabbit holes on Facebook and on YouTube, and he said that you know we needed to have campaigns that actually um, engaged with our whānau who are, are online, sourcing their information from that. So how do you do that? Well, the initiatives we're funding are directly with iwi and Māori organisations to communicate directly with their members. So we're providing them with information that's being um, provided generally, but tailored to, to the use. Can you give us an example of what one looks like? Because any day on my Facebook page, I can find dozens and dozens of Māori who do not believe in COVID? Well, the communication channels we're working on are on social media. So there are um, channels where the Ministry of Health, for instance, as, along with the whole of government, is responding to the chatter on social media. There are certainly Māori-specific campaigns uh, like Karafua um, that are currently putting out good messaging out there. There are, As I said, there are individual Māori organisations and iwi so we are regularly engaged, for instance, with the Iwi Comms Network, which includes a variety of communication uh, representatives across Iwi, providing them with information. They are channeling some of their own responses into social media, but there's a lot to contend with. How are you measuring it? Are you having any success? It is quite difficult sometimes because we may not be able to respond to every social media post. So what we try and do is look at where there are some key themes, particularly around information, and put information out there. But it's a constant battle, to be honest with you, me. It's not something that we're going to resolve once. Um, it's it's um, a large feature of, as I said, not only what's happening here, but internationally, where you've got dedicated organisations and people who um, are dedicated to putting out messaging around the place, false messaging. Have you got a message for Fano who may have Fano on their Facebook page or come across that? You know, what? how do you engage? What do you say? We don't have any shortage of leaders in iwi and Māori who are prepared to stand up and support what we're doing in terms of the response for COVID or vaccination. And so maybe it's some of our family leaders who might be one of the few who might be able to get through to some of our Fano who aren't very trusting of messages received from elsewhere. Tēnā koe, kia haumaru tonoho. Uh, kia ora, uh, kia hau maru tātou katoa, uh, mā te atua, uh, tana koroai aroha e whakawhiua nei ki rungi a tātou, noho oro mai. Kia ora. After the break, we speak to Māori virologist Dr Natalie Netzva. The Delta variant, which has plunged Aotearoa into lockdown, is spreading rapidly worldwide. It's the most transmissible COVID variant, infecting at a far greater rate than the original COVID-19 virus. To understand its potential impact on Māori, our reporter D'Angelo Martin spoke to Māori virologist Dr Natalie Metzler. So the Delta strain of COVID, which we know is the most deadliest, why is that? So what we've seen from some of the recent research is that Delta does seem to cause more severe illness. But I think the really key fact about Delta that we need to keep in mind is that it is much more contagious. So with the original strain, we were seeing that COVID-19, if one person caught it, they could infect on average around two and a half people around them. But with Delta, we're seeing that one sick person with COVID-19 can infect on average around seven people around them. So 
What we know about Delta is that it is much, much more contagious. And with more cases, we get more death. And within your rangahau, within your research about the virus, I mean, what were some of the key findings that may relate to whānau Māori? There are a lot of factors that are already known out there in the public domain that put Māori at more risk. So one thing is that we are more likely to be exposed. We make up a large proportion of frontline health and border workers. We also tend to look after our kaumatoa, so we often live in multi-generational housing, and this can help spread the virus more easily. And Māori, unfortunately, have a high proportion of underlying health issues. We have a lot of diabetes, a lot of cardiovascular disease, and we know from this pandemic and previous ones that this makes us much more likely to have a very severe reaction to the virus. What we're seeing for Māori is that we are two and a half times more likely to need hospitalisation from COVID-19 and that we're at least 50% more likely to die. Recent studies have also shown that people in Oceania are more likely to suffer from severe reactions to COVID-19 and there have been some genetic links. So that means that perhaps our DNA might affect our immune response. So my mahi is looking at some of these adaptations in the, in the DNA of Māori and Pacific peoples to try and give, give us some clues on why is it that we get more sick and why is it that we are more likely to die from infectious diseases such as COVID-19. Mm, Kilda, And can you just quickly explain why people who are fully uh, vaccinated can still be at risk of getting COVID? This is a really common concern. And I, I would just like to assure people that if you're fully vaccinated, you are much, much less likely to die of COVID-19. What we are seeing is that the vaccines were originally developed against the original COVID-19 virus. And so since then, it has adapted. It keeps adapting. And so it is adapted to spread faster. What we've also seen is that it is adapted so that the vaccine is slightly less effective. We're seeing that instead of 95% of people being protected by the Pfizer vaccine, now around 88% of people are protected. That is still very high. That is still a great level of protection against the virus. So the, the key message there is that you could still catch the virus if you're fully vaccinated, which is why it is important to wear a mask and stay in your bubble, but you are much less likely to get really sick and die. And so that's why it's important to still get vaccinated. Uh, following on to that question, I know a lot of people will be asking, you know, what is the point of being vaccinated if you can still get sick? What do you tell them? Yeah, I tell them that it's it's a little bit like going in a car ride with a really bad driver. You could put your seatbelt on, which is like getting vaccinated, and you have a much, much less likely chance of getting hurt or dying. Or you could just forget about it and think, um, you know, maybe it's it, it, it's just something I can take a risk with and you're much more likely to die. The truth is that vaccines save lives. 99.5 of people globally that have died from COVID-19 were unvaccinated. And what we're seeing is that it protects against almost 100% of death, very close to 100%, especially Pfizer has a very good um, safety and effectiveness record. So I would still strongly suggest that people get vaccinated to save lives. Now, there's a lot of cordial online about people wanting to know what's in the vaccine. Uh, can you explain very simply uh, what is in the vaccine and how it works? 
Yeah, so the first thing I would like to just reassure people is that there is no virus in the vaccine. So it's really important that people understand they are not being given a little bit of the virus. There is no virus in the vaccine. What it is, is just the instructions or a little bit of genetic code called mRNA that gives the body the instructions on how to make what's called the spike protein. The spike protein is just a tiny bit of the outside of the virus, which is how it normally attaches to our cells to get inside to make us sick. So we know if we block that spike protein, then we won't get COVID-19. And so what happens is when we are injected, we have the message, we make the spike protein, and we have an immune response. Our immune response makes something called antibodies, which are like heat-seeking missiles to attack the spike protein and kill it. But our immune system has a memory. So the next time we see the real virus and the real spike protein, then we have antibodies and we are protected. So in that way, the vaccine trains our immune system on how to get ready and prepare so that we can very quickly kill the virus before it makes us sick. At this point, Maori vaccination rates are very low. Is that a concern to you? It is a great concern to me. I think there are two parts to, to this answer. The first is that we are seeing that Maori vaccination rates are only are they're less than about 60% of European vaccination rates in Aotearoa, so really lagging behind. But what really worries me is that we are much more at risk. We have at least 50% more chance of dying from COVID-19 than other ethnic groups in Aotearoa. And we know that if we catch the virus, we are two and a half times more likely to need hospitalisation. So that tells me that we are much more at risk. And so we really should be all getting vaccinated to protect not just ourselves, but also those vulnerable people in our community, those that maybe can't be vaccinated ourselves. So if we all get vaccinated, we have a much better chance of not passing the virus on to them to keep them safe too. We've heard a lot about the risk to Komatua, uh, but Delta is killing Rangatahi too. I mean, what, what are the risks for Altamariki and how do we protect them? Yeah, so the original strain, it looked like it really was more of a risk to our Komatua. And what we're seeing with Delta is it's a game changer. It's really changed all the rules. And we're seeing babies overseas are dying now of COVID-19. So it's really important that we all play our role in this lockdown, that we listen to the advice, we stay in our bubbles, we, we all try and get vaccinated. We wear a mask when we go out in public and we try and maintain social distancing because what we're seeing now is that COVID-19 can also infect our tamariki and it could kill them. So we really need to work hard to protect all of the lives around us, not just our kaumatua. However, it is important to note that our kaumatua are still the most at risk. We have learned recently that with every seven years of age, your risk of dying of COVID-19 doubles. So a 70-year-old person is around 32 times more likely to die than a 35-year-old. So this is why we're seeing that most of the deaths are in that older age group. And that's why it's really important that we all get vaccinated to protect not just ourselves, but also our tamariki and our komatua to try and keep everyone safe and to save as many lives as possible. Hey muri, i ngā whakatairanga, ka tūtaki atu ki ngā ukulele nenis o tauranga moana.
Auraki mai anō. Before lockdown, the Hui reporter Rawane Pereira travelled to Tauranga Moana to meet a very special group of musical nannies. Anei tana pūrongo. A little instrument and a lot of aroha. There's something special about it. We'll go and play just to make people happy. You know, that's, that's what ukulele is all about. Ukulele nannies are a musical ensemble delighting Tauranga Moana audiences, but behind their toe-tapping tunes is an important kopapa. It's an amazing um, hawara kopapa for anybody. Being part of a group that loves you back, and that to me is really powerful. Ah, <sighs> you know, I just think it gives them joy. Tuesday, Verna Ohaya Gates' Fano-based ukulele group can be heard making sweet music. They're all converts to the instrument and hooked on its four-string sound. It was Verna's music-loving mother, 92-year-old Terikawa Ohia, who encouraged her daughter to form the band before her passing in 2018. You used to have great times with mum. Mm, so she pretty much um, said to me, you know, get this going, Verna, okay, well, I better. And then a lot of, you know, other aunties were saying, come on, let's start. So it's pretty much started from there. Her whakaata was, you know, to share what I knew. <laughs> as well as popular hits, the group paid tribute to Verna's mum with her favourite, Waiata Māori. Mum lying in her bed before she passed, and I got the uke out. So I started singing the song, Maku. And as I was singing, you could hear her go, mm. So she was singing, and I thought, yeah, she's told it. <laughs> uh, that's the special moments. The ukulele group isn't the only gift Terikawa passed down to Verna. The 70-year-old has recently been given the role of kaikaranga for her tauranga marae te fitu o te rangi. And it's very special because it's a raka that mum gave me, so I have to do it, hey, as the oldest girl of the family. when people say, oh, you sound like your mother. I go, oh, my God. I said, well, it is in my DNA, I suppose. <laughs> that's that's and, a big compliment. Yeah, it's a great compliment, of course. Yeah, it is. So I know I'm doing OK. Mm. The marae is also where the ropu play regular gigs for Komatoa. I just think it gives them joy. You know, it just gives them joy. They forget what illnesses are. And it's really funny, you see them up doing, doing a line dance or something.
And so I will only play about three songs at once. And then I stop and they go, oh, I said, I don't want you falling down. <laughs> Something happening to you. So sit down and have a rest. We'll do some slow songs. Then we'll get back to line dancing again. They go, oh, okay. <laughs> I said, I don't want you guys collapsing. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be there. There. Down here. Most of the ensemble are all related. At 85, Auntie Jana is the group's ruahine, while Verna's aunt, Mary Clark, is proof that it's never too late to pick up the uke. How tricky was it for you to learn the ukulele at 70? I knew most of the chords with the guitar, but I did know the chords on the ukulele. So through Verna, she taught us the chords. So that's how I started. And and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Thoroughly enjoying it. The ukulele nannies are attracting a loyal following, playing gigs at special events around the motu. And audiences may have noticed a few koro getting in on the act. Yes, our name is ukulele nannies, and it's been like that for a while, but now we have two male that have come on board and they're quite happy to be part of the ukulele nannies. <laughs> so we're happy with that. <laughs> Every nanny's got to have a goat. Robert Manihira was introduced to the ropu after he tried to find a ukulele band for his wife's unveiling. He loved it so much he joined the nannies and since retiring he says his new passion gives him a sense of purpose. Just being part of a ropu who give you love, who give you something to do. I get up every Tuesday and I look forward to um, the practices. Last year, Conrad Hawira came on board and in that time, the group's only male musos have developed a strong bond. Both have survived strokes and are amazed at the healing properties of playing the uke. This group has taken me from having fingers like that, and they now do that. Haora <laughs> is at the heart of their music making. We decided that this group would be about well-being and encouraging them to recuperate, help them to recover from their, whatever their mamai is, and it's working. I mean, even for myself, I had bad arthritis. And instead of going to the physiotherapist, I'd say to play your ukulele. The happiness it brings to these players is infectious and proving to be addictive. It's an instrument of fun and brings joy, and that's why I love playing it. It's just, yeah, it's a bomb, you know. It's one of those things that you pick up and you don't want to put it down once you start playing it. Verna is proud of what they've achieved together, keeping the music playing in memory of her beloved mum. What would your mum think if she saw this? <laughs> she'd be so wrapped. <laughs> uh, oh, no, she'd be happy, happy as. Verna's been our glue. She's our inspiration sure. and got us all going and shared her, 
her knowledge on, on, on playing the ukulele, the ukulele to, to us. She's knit us all together and they weave us beautifully. And out of that kōrawai comes these beautiful noises, sounds, songs. We might be the ones that are paddling, but somebody's got to steer us in the right place, in the right direction. It's not complicated. People think it's complicated. Have a go, I'd say, have a go. It's a lovely instrument. Ko hekina te hui e huama, nohoro mai rā, i roto i o koutou mirumiru. Support from New Zealand on air.